Good morning. Today's Bible reading will be from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This is the word of the Lord. A very good morning to you all. Uh, my name is Raphael. I'm one of the pastors here at Christchurch Midran. And it's really my great privilege to be opening God's word for us uh, this morning. Just before I do that, before I open God's word for us, I first wanted to extend my gratitude to you, to the church family, for your prayer, your love, and your thoughts after the death of my father, just as Reggie announced three weeks ago. I really felt overwhelmed uh, by your love. And as I was thinking about it, it's just an outplay of our DNA again. So we say that in Christ, we are a redeemed family of servants on mission. We are redeemed because of what Christ has done for us. He has purchased us by his blood, and we are adopted into his family. And in this family, we stand with one another in good and in bad times, in joy and in tears. So for me, it was just a great, a great uh, example to see how this uh, DNA is, is playing out. And of course, not just to me, but to the many within our church family who are going through hard times, who are going through difficult times. Thanks for showing that same love, and thanks to the pastoral team that is always ready to serve us in that regard. And maybe uh, you are part of uh, this family and you feel like you alone, you're not looked after. Can I just encourage you to make an effort to get plugged into the life of the family? And one of the ways that you can do it is by joining a life group. If you are part of a life group, you'll get to experience this great gift of being part of, of, of a redeemed family. So will you please consider joining a life group? Uh, you can search any in your area so that when life becomes tough, you're not on your own. You've got God's people around you whom you can cry to, who can pray with you, and who can encourage you during this difficult time uh, that you might be going through. So thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your prayers. And my prayer for all of us is that we continue to grow in our DNA as a redeemed family of servants on mission, because this is what God has done to us in Christ. Yesterday, there was a prayer walk organized by the Care and Crisis Center. Um, thanks for everyone who was part of that. Uh, they went out in the streets of Midrand here close to the church just to share the awareness of the center 
uh, and just to share the gospel. Uh, can I encourage you to continue to pray for our Ken Crisis Center so that God will use it so that it will fulfill its purpose? So thank you for everyone who was part of that yesterday. Thank you for our prayer ministry who also was praying, even though some could not make it. Uh, thank you for everyone, and let's continue to pray uh, for our care and crisis center. Three weeks ago, uh, when Reggie introduced our new series, uh, he mentioned that when Royden said that he needed, he needed new voices on the pulpit, basically what he, he, what he meant is that he needed good-looking guys on the pulpit. Uh, I mean, Reggie, not that there's anything wrong with Royden, we love you, Raiden. Uh, but he just wanted some uh, good-looking faces. But I need to tell you this. Whenever I am with Martin or Martha, and someone makes this comment and say, you know, uh, these young pastors, we thank God for them because they teach us the God's word. Uh, they are also young and good-looking. So Martin on Martha will tell me, Rafa, I hope you understand there's a difference between the past and the present. <laughs> Meaning, in the past, you might have been good-looking, but the present doesn't say that reality. And I will kindly tell them, Martin, Martha, I think it will be of great help if you set an appointment with your optometrist, because <laughs> I think you haven't done that for quite a while. Love you, Martin. Love you, Martha. This is how we love each other here at Christchurch Midland. Let me pray for us as we come to God's Word. Lord Jesus, we thank you for a beautiful morning like this, as we can come together as your people to praise and to worship you, as we sing, as we pray, as we confess our sins, and as also as we listen to your Word. We pray that we'll meet Jesus, we'll see him for who he is. Please prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, so that we can hear from you. And Lord, as your servant, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable to you. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> On April 10th, 2010, a plane carrying the Polish president, his wife, and dozens of the country's top political and military leaders to the site of a Soviet massacre of the Polish officers in World War II crashed in Western Russia, killing everyone on board, 96 passengers and the crew. It was a Saturday. The crash came as a stunning blow to Poland as it wiped out a large portion of the country's leadership in one fiery explosion. And this was reported by Nicholas Kulish, Ellen Barry, and Mikhail Piotrowski. You will notice that this was the most secure airplane in the country with the best crew on board but also with the most, it was the most secure flight you could ever have in Poland. Why? Because of who was on board. But this fact did not stop the tragedy to happen. They did not secure the lives of the people on board because everyone was killed. 
Isn't this to some extent the image of the parable that Talita just read for us? While that rich man thought that all his goods and possessions would secure his life, the Bible says that God told him in verse 20, You fool, this very night your soul or your life will be demanded from you. So what we have here in this parable, in Luke 12, Jesus is teaching to a crowd of thousands of people who are all gathering together. And he's speaking to his disciples, those who are following him. We read that in verse 1. So Jesus is teaching his disciples about how, as disciples, they should be bold in confessing their allegiance to him. How, as disciples, they shouldn't fear men. How, as his disciples, they should not be hypocritical or self-centered as it was the case for the Pharisees. Just as Jesus is teaching, just as people are listening to him, suddenly someone in the crowd just came with a different topic. You remember those times when we were at school and the teacher is teaching, we are all listening, focusing on what the teacher is saying. And then there was always that one, the classmate, who will raise his hand up. And the minute he raises his hand up, you know something is about to happen. So he will raise his hand up, and then he will ask a question that is totally different from what the teacher is talking about. And you wonder, where does this come from? Well, if you're a teacher, you will know that this also happened to Jesus. So he's teaching, and suddenly someone in the crowd just comes with a different topic. And what does he say? Lord, I want you to tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. So what do we learn from this guy? Of course, he recognizes Jesus as a teacher or as a rabbi. So Luke uses teacher, but they all mean the same. Teacher and rabbi means the same. And this guy, he wants Jesus to render judgment on ethical matters, which is the sharing of the inheritance between him and his brother. And this is one of the things that the rabbis were doing. They were rendering legal decisions. They were reinforcing the law in matter of inheritance. You can read that in Number chapter 27, verses 1 to 11, or Deuteronomy 21, 15. So that's what the rabbis were doing. It's part of what they were consulted for. But what the Bible does not tell us in this passage is that if this person really deserved a share in the inheritance that he's asking for or not, the Bible is quiet. It doesn't tell us anything. But we read in verse 14 that Jesus refused to respond to the request of this man. And by Jesus refusing to do it, it does not mean that Jesus is denying his right as a rabbi or a teacher, nor even more that Jesus is not concerned about the social matters. But instead, what Jesus does, he turns to an area where no one of the rabbis had the, had the right to approach. He turns to an area where no one of the rabbis had 
the right to judge? And this is the question of motivation. And the issue here revolves around the very nature of life, the greed who seeks possession. So because Jesus is Jesus, it means that he understood this man's request. He knew that the request from this man was selfish. The request from this man was so materialistic. He just wanted to gather possession for himself. And then Jesus tells this parable. This rich man, his land produced a good crop. He told himself, what shall I do? Well, let me tear down these burns that I have so that I can build bigger ones. Then I can store all my harvest. Then I can tell myself, you have done well for so many years. You deserve an early retirement. Take life easy. Chill, eat, relax. Jesus knew the motivation behind the man's question. He knew that this man was selfish. He knew the covetousness desire behind the request of this man. That's why in verse 15 he said, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of covetousness. And the NIV says, against all kinds of greed. And this is a warning that Jesus is giving us. Why? Because a man's life does not consist on the abundance of his possession. As we unpack our passage, we'll look at three principles. The first one, God can bless us with material possessions. So God can bless us with material or with possession. Second one, the possession that we have or the material that we have will not and do not secure our lives. The third one is God is sovereign and one day he will call us for accountability. Let's dig into it and look at the first principle. God can bless us with material or with possession. Everything that we have comes from God. Look again with me, verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. Of course, this did not happen on its own, by itself. Luke is so intentional in the way he records this verse 16. For those of us, for those of you who are farmers or who are close to farmers, or for those of you who have had their own experience in your own gardening, you will know that there are times where you do everything according to the book, but you don't always get the harvest that you are expected. It doesn't always come to what you were, you were willing to, you, were, you wanted to, 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 to get. And Luke does not want us to miss this provision of God. Well, who provided the rain so that the crop could grow? It's God. Or maybe you might say, you know, I'm clever enough, so I irrigated my field. Well, who created the water? It's God. Who made the land to be fertile? Well, it's God. It's God's provision. So there are things that you and me cannot control that are, that are under God's control. And Luke wants us to notice this, even in this parable, that there was God's provision into this man's harvest. 
And of course, when we look at God's provision, we are reminded of the God who is the creator. He is the one who created everything, everything that exists. We read that from Genesis 1. It just means everything belongs to him. Everything belongs to God. Psalm verse, chapter 24, verse 1 and 2 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the waters. So not only God created everything, but he controls everything. He is in charge. Every small detail of life is under him. Nothing escapes to him. He laid down the foundation of the earth. He knows everything. There's no detail that escapes to him. God is the creator. He is the one who controls everything. But also he is the one who provides. Job chapter 34 verse 41. Who provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God who wander about for lack of food? Well, it's God who provides. Who feeds the birds of the sky? God is the one who feeds them. Who provides for you and me? God is the one who does that. Or you might tell yourself, wait for a minute, I'm very smart, I work hard. Well, who gives you the strength to, be, to work hard? There are many people out there who would work hard, but they don't have the opportunities that you have. There are many people who are smart out there, but they don't have work. So God is the one who provides everything. Everything that we have is given by God. Little or big may it be. And that does not have anything to do with you, with your faith, with your status. Outside there, some people will tell you, if you only you pray hard, then. Well, everything we receive from God, it's a gift. It doesn't have anything to do with your faith or my faith. Because if that was the case, one would say then, my faith is the one commanding God what to give me and how he should give me. But the Bible reminds us that faith itself is a gift from God. So imagine if I'm being generous and I'm saying, okay, I'm going to give you a gift. The minute I just bring a gift to you, you start telling me, no, 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 I don't want this gift. Rather give me this other one. And this is how you should give it to me. Make sure you wrap it in a beautiful uh, pack and then put it at my door. That's what we try to do with God. God gives us gifts freely how he wants. But we act as if we want to command him how he should give us and what he should give us. Well, remember, God does not, does not owe anyone anything. In fact, in the parable that we are reading here, no way it's mentioned that it's because of the faith of this farmer that his land produced a good crop. It just happened. God provided for him. Having said all this, it is clear now that God is the one who allowed the field of this farmer to produce a good crop. So my dear friend, whatever you and me have is a gift from God. Our life included is a gift from God. You and me are just stewards of all that God has given us. He gives to who he wants and how he wants. He doesn't owe you or owe me anything at all. And when he gives these things to us, we just need to thank him. Why? Because everything belongs to him. 
He owns everything. And why is it important for us to know that everything is from God? Well, because our second principle, which is earthly possession, the material that we have, do not and will not secure our life. Look again with me, verses 19 to 21, and I read from NIV. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life, your soul will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? As I said earlier on, there's nothing wrong to have material possessions. It's a gift from God. In fact, you may even ask the question, what was the, this farmer's problem in the parable? Was the problem that he was successful or that he was rich? Or you may want to ask this question, is Jesus condemning uh, wealth in this parable? Is Jesus condemning success in this parable? Although success or wealth can raise some indignation in some hearts, although our sinful nature makes us resent success or wealth, especially when it's not ours, which we need to be repenting each and every time. Jesus, here in this parable, is not condemning success, he's not condemning wealth. In the Bible, we have examples of many people who were successful, who were rich, and the Bible does not condemn them. We read of Abraham. Abraham was wealthy, he was rich. We read of Job. Job was so wealthy. In the New Testament, we read of this lady, Lydia, who was also wealthy. So the Bible does not condemn them. In fact, they use, they use their resources for God's kingdom. As we said before, wealth, materials, these are blessings. They are gifts from God. Like any other blessing that you and me can receive from God. Like health, like family, like friends, all these are blessings from God. God gives us wealth to enjoy it in him. And we saw that it does not have anything to do with your faith. It does not have anything to do with your status. God's provide. He's, he has been doing that. But the problem with us comes when we have the wrong answer to the question that we find in verse 17. What shall I do? Instead of us using the wealth that God has given us to glorify him, instead of us using the wealth that God has given us to grow his kingdom, instead of using the wealth that God has given us to look after the needy among us, instead of using that wealth to think of others, not ourselves only, our problem or our tendency is to put our wealth at the center of our life. And once we put that at the center of our life, we want more and more. And that's nothing else than greed. Greed is defined as an excessive desire of other food or wealth. 
And the problem with greed is that it is insidious, which just means it proceeds in a gradual and subtle way. Most of the time, you are not aware that you are becoming greedy, but the effects of it are so harmful. That's what greed is all about. That's why in verse 15, Jesus could say, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of covetousness, against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession. What happens when we become greed is that we find our identity with the possession that we have, with the wealth that we have. That's what defines us. Our only focus becomes on the material possession that we have. It's all about me and my possession. This parable is basically the only parable where you find the first person pronoun or adjective many times repeated. One cannot miss the self-centeredness of this rich fool. His world was bound north, south, east, west by me, mine, I, my, and myself at the center. That's how this man's world was. The one thing that never entered his head was giving it away, give some away. This man could never see beyond himself. He could never see beyond his me world. It's about me, it's about my pleasure, it's about my life. Other people in his world do not exist. And if they do, it's just an afterthought. How, what can I get from them? Jesus is nowhere in the picture. And of course, greed blinds us spiritually. And this is the danger because most of the time, you and me, we are not aware that we are becoming greedy. We can't see it. And it's so painful that sometimes it requires someone outside to bring that sin to us. Or this morning, as we open God's word, he is speaking to us. He's asking us to look into our lives. Remember, I said earlier on, this rich man was an ordinary man. He could have been you. He could have been me. The guy who asked the question was an ordinary man. He could have been you. He could have been me. Think about this. When last in your devotion, in your personal time, when last did you repent of your sin of greed? When last did you say, Lord, forgive me for being greedy, or Lord, please spare me from my greed? When last did you do that? Was it yesterday? Was it last week? Was it last month? Was it last year or never? You see, the sin of greed is different from other sins because of its insidious character, the way it, it develops in one's life. You are not aware most of the time that you are becoming greedy. It's different from, let's say, stealing or, or making a false testimony or lying. It's different. When you lie or when you are making a false testimony, it's something that you think about. You even plan on what you're going to say when you are lying. 
When you are stealing, you know exactly how you're going to proceed. You strategize everything. You can't say, wait for a minute, I didn't know that I was lying, or wait for a minute, I didn't know that I was stealing. You plan for these things. But with the sin of greed, most of the time you don't plan. You're not aware that you're becoming greedy. You can't wake up a morning and say, today I want to be greedy. And if you do that, that, that means there's really a big problem. You see, the consequence of this is that when greed invades our life, we start accumulating things for ourselves and sometimes hurting people along the way as we are accumulating things for ourselves. You remember this proverb by the Romans. It goes like this. Money is like sea water. The more a man drinks, the thirstier he becomes. The more I have, the more I want. Because I'm not easily satisfied. That's my sinful nature. And the more I want, the more I build false confidence. The more I want, the more I build security in the wrong place. I start thinking that the possession that I have will secure my life, will make me happy. I won't lack anything. The rich man said, I have plenty for the future. He can even see the future. He can even say, my life is just sorted. Nothing to worry about. Take life easy. Relax, enjoy, be happy. So what greed does to us, it's that we start enjoying the gift God has given us more than enjoying himself who is the giver. And the Bible simply calls it idolatry. Anything that competes with God's place in our lives, everything that takes God's place, Jesus' place in my heart, that's an idol of my life, of my heart. You see how greed can really be very devastating, leading to idolatry. So what starves your soul or my soul is not the amount of wealth, although that's a problem. But what starves your soul or my soul is the love of wealth. That's what starves your soul. That's what starves my soul. The love for material possession. This means the sin of greedness can, see, can be seen to both rich and poor. We all want to have wealth. And that's what starves our soul. And this just tells us that Jesus knew the reason behind this man's request. That's why he said in verse 20, you fool. Remember when the word fool is used in the Old Testament, most of the time it's used to indicate someone who rejects God's authority over their lives. Psalm chapter 14, verse 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Just consider this example. I always love using it. Maybe you, you, you heard it from me before. So consider a child five years old. You as a parent or as an uncle, you want to give a treat to your child or you want to just surprise him. You know this child likes so much chocolate, a specific type of chocolate. You go to the shop, you buy the whole box, you come home, you present it to the child. The minute he sees it, you can see from his eyes 
that the child is so excited, so happy, open the box, take the chocolate, opens it and start eating. And you are just watching. And then you come back to the child. First of all, you try and make as if you want to take that box from him. So already you know what will happen. You need to be strong enough to do that. Or if you don't do that, if you try to be uh, a good uncle or parent, try to negotiate with the child, ask him to give you some from the box. Well, the first answer you get is just no. That's, that's just instinctive. That's what they say, no. And if you insist, they cry. But if you are lucky enough, what they will do, they will take one that they are eating after having many bites, that's the one they will give to you. The one that they've been enjoying. And we are not different from this child. As adults, in fact, we do it in a very sophisticated way. We know how to hide the greediness within us. Greed takes control over us. It takes control over our hearts. It takes control over our lives. We enjoy the gift more than the giver himself. But God said to the rich, you fool. As if he's telling him, I am the one who created everything that you have. I am the one who gave you all that you have. I am the one who made you a steward of all that you have. I am the one who blessed you so that you can bless others. I am the one who has got the final word in your life. Not your possession, not what you have. How many times have we lived like this rich fool? How many times has greed taken control over our lives? How many times have we brought false confidence in the material that we have than trusting in the goodness of God? So my dear friend, as people of God's kingdom, which is an upside-down kingdom, a kingdom that is different from this world, we need to understand that earthly possession, the material that we have, will never secure our lives. They will never secure your life or my life. The greed in us makes us build false confidence. They make us build false security. We invest in the wrong place. Remember how the Polish president and the top political and military leaders died in a crash. These people, they had everything one can think of to secure their flight. Everything. But unfortunately, at the same time, they also had nothing to secure their lives. Why? Because they all died. And they left everything behind. So my dear friend, the earthly possession will never give any security to your life. They will never stop anything to happen. They will never stop death to happen. They will never stop a relationship to be broken. They will never stop corona to invade our world. They will never stop anything. When things happen, they happen. And the sad news is, 
When you and me die, we leave everything behind. Everything. Houses, family, friends, cars, children, spouses, everything. Boyfriend, girlfriend, we leave everything behind. Just as God told the rich, then who will get all that you've been prepared for yourself? What you and me have been investing in, what is that that takes all our life, our attention? What's that idol that we've been building around our lives? What have you been investing in if you leave everything? Where is the place of God in your life right now as we're talking? What is that at the heart of your life? What makes you not sleep all night long? Do you think your wealth will secure your life? Do you think your wealth will give any security to your life? Well, this sends us to our third principle, which is God is sovereign and one day he will call us for accountability. Look again with me, verse 20 and 21. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul or your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with everyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. And here we kind of have this idea of judgment God is the one who can put an end to your life and to my life. There is this story of a young man who was very ambitious. He was a very ambitious young man talking to an older man who knew about life. And this is how the conversation goes. The young man said, I will learn my trade. And then asked the old man, yeah, I will set up business. And then, asked the old man, I will make fortune. And then, asked the old man, I suppose that I shall grow old and retire and live on my money. Okay, and then, asked the old man, well, I suppose that someday I will die. And then, asked the old man, this last one was a stabbing question. One day your life and my life will be demanded from you and from me. What will you tell your creator about where you put your trust in? What will you tell him about what he entrusted you as a steward? The Bible says, what does it benefit for a man to gain the whole world and yet loses his soul? Instead of being greedy for earthly possession, we should develop a desire for God to know him, to know his word, to be more like Christ, just like Michelle was sharing with us, to grow his kingdom with everything that he has given us. We should seek every day to live for him, to glorify him with everything that he has given us, he has put under our our possession. 
Maybe you are here this morning and you have been a Christian for a long time and you are still struggling with the sin of greed in your life. Or maybe you are not aware that the sin of greed is there and you are also part of those who struggle with it. Isn't this morning a good reminder to all of us and a great encouragement to repent before God and ask Him to help us through His Holy Spirit to fight greed in our lives and to be generous because that's one of the ways we can fight greed. Isn't this a great reminder and a great encouragement to all of us to renew our commitment to serve God with all that he has given us, with all that he has entrusted us? Isn't this a great reminder and a great encouragement to remember that one day our life will be demanded from us? We will stand before God. Or maybe you are here this morning or you are listening from uh, online or from the website and the sin of greed has taken control of your heart and made you build false confidence in the world that you have or the desire to have wealth, thinking that possession will secure your life. My friend, that's a lie. Your possession will never secure your life. Only Jesus can secure your life your life now, and your eternal life. And he has done it through his death on that cross, just as we are singing it before. He only is your shepherd, your good shepherd. He has secured your life now and your life eternal. Isn't this a great opportunity for you and for me to cry out to God for mercy and to invite Jesus to take control over our lives? over our heart's desires, prayerfully asking God to dethrone anything that is at the center of our life apart from him and to enthrone Jesus as the ruler over our life so that one day when we stand before him, it won't be you fool, but it will be beloved son, beloved daughter, welcome home. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that we can remember what Jesus accomplished for us, that he was willing to die on that cross for our sins, that he was willing to take upon himself all our guilt, all our brokenness, so that we can be reconciled to you, so that we can be part of your family. Will you please help us never to lose sight of the cross that reminds us how much you really love us, that all our sins are forgiven because of what Jesus has accomplished, that even the sin of greed has been forgiven. And help us, Lord, to live like people of your kingdom, people who think of others, not of themselves only. And Lord, for this week we are starting, will you please give us the grace to stand for you, to speak for you, and to witness for you wherever you have placed us. All these things we pray in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus and for his sake.
Amen.